In later years, there would be bigger demonstrations, more eloquent speakers, more professional slogans. But the march that took place in Kiev on the Sunday morning of April 1, 1917, was extraordinary because it was the first of its kind. Never before had the Ukrainian national movement shown itself in such force on the territory of what had been the Russian Empire. But only weeks after the February Revolution had toppled Tsar Nicholas II, anything seemed possible. There were flags, blue and yellow for Ukraine, as well as red for the socialist cause. The crowd, composed of children, soldiers, factory workers, marching bands, and officials, carried banners. A free Ukraine in a free Russia. Or, using an ancient Cossack military title, Independent Ukraine with its own hetman. Some carried portraits of the national poet, Taras Shevchenko. One after another, speakers called for the crowd to support the newly established Central Rada, the Central Council, which had formed a few days earlier and now claimed authority to rule Ukraine. Finally, the man who had just been elected chairman of the Central Rada stepped up to the podium. Mikhailo Khrushchevsky, bearded and bespectacled, was one of the intellectuals who had first put Ukraine at the center of its own history. The author of the ten-volume History of Ukraine Rus, as well as many other books, Khrushchevsky had turned to political activism at the very end of the 19th century, when, in December 1899, and in exile, he helped found the Ukrainian National Democratic Party in Habsburg, Galicia. He returned to work in the Russian Empire in 1905, but in 1914 he was arrested and once again went into exile. In the wake of the revolution, he had returned to Kiev in triumph. The crowd now welcomed him with vigorous cheers. Slava Batkovi Khrushchevskomo! or glory to Father Khrushchevsky. He responded in kind, Let us all swear at this great moment as one man to take up the great cause unanimously, with one accord, and not to rest or cease our labor until we build that free Ukraine. The crowd shouted back, We swear! From the perspective of the present, the image of a historian as the leader of a national movement seems odd, but at the time it did not seem unusual at all. From the 19th century onwards, Ukrainian historians, like their counterparts in many of Europe's smaller nations, had deliberately set out to recover and articulate a national history that had long been subsumed into that of larger empires. From there, it was a short step to actual political activism. Just as Shevchenko had linked Ukrainianness to the peasants' struggle against oppression, Khrushchevsky's books also stressed the role of the people in the political history of Ukraine and emphasized the centrality of their resistance to various forms of tyranny. It was only logical that he should want to inspire the same people to act in the politics of the present, both in words and deeds. He was particularly interested in galvanizing peasants and had written a Ukrainian history book about old times in Ukraine, especially for a peasant audience. In 1917, 
it was reprinted three times. Khrushchevsky was by no means the only intellectual whose literary and cultural output promoted the sovereignty of Ukraine. Georgi Narbut, a graphic artist, also returned to Kiev in 1917. He helped found the Ukrainian Academy of Fine Arts and designed a Ukrainian coat of arms, banknotes, and stamps. Vladimir Vinichenko, another member of the Central Rada, was a novelist and poet as well as a political figure. Without sovereignty, and without an actual state that could support politicians and bureaucrats, national feelings could only be channeled through literature and art. This was true all across Europe. Before they attained statehood, poets, artists, and writers had played important roles in the establishment of Polish, Italian, and German national identity. Inside the Russian Empire, both the Baltic states, which became independent in 1918, and Georgia and Armenia, which did not, experienced similar national revivals. The centrality of intellectuals to all of these national projects was fully understood at the time by their proponents and opponents alike. It explains why Imperial Russia had banned Ukrainian books, schools, and culture, and why their repression would later be of central concern to both Lenin and Stalin. Although they began as self-appointed spokesmen for the national cause, the intellectuals of the Central Rada did seek democratic legitimacy. Operating out of a grand, white, neoclassical building in central Kiev, appropriately, it had been previously used for meetings of the Ukrainian Club, a group of nationalist writers and civic activists, the Central Rada convened an all-Ukrainian National Congress on April 19, 1917. 